Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. So if you don't know me, my name is Sarah Fletcher, and I am on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha. Uh, so I graduated from the university in 2011, stuck, a, <laughs> stuck around to do an internship, and then uh, here I am 11 years later. Uh, so yeah, holla. Uh, so uh, I love speaking early in the semester, first of all, because I don't know, there's just kind of this excitement and there is this chance for everybody's life to change. Do you know what I, what I mean with that school kind of shift where a new year starts? It just feels like a big reset button where you can change your attitude or you can change kind of your pursuits. You can change so much and it feels like anything could happen. So I love speaking to that. I also love speaking towards the beginning of the semester because I also think it's a good time to be reminded of hope. Uh, So maybe you were a little bit like me, and you came into UVA, and you had a lot of plans, and then you had a, whoops, moment. Anyone? Yeah. Uh, So you might relate to that. I came into UVA knowing exactly what profession I wanted to be, fertility specialist, exactly what year I would get married to not mess up with my grad school schedule, 2015. And uh, (laughs) I knew that uh, I would always keep my travel soccer fitness, no matter what. I'd be ready to go. Um, I think there's, yeah, so that's Sarah Fletcher. That is the rotunda. You can't tell because this is a generation one iPhone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that, that's me and the rotunda. Uh, two megapixels. We thought that was a great photo. Um, so chilling, ready for UVA, having a great time. And then you're like four months in and you've got a D on your first chemistry test. You and your high school boyfriend broke up and you broke your ankles playing I am. There she is. (laughs) This is a moment of what we call expectation versus reality. Um, So anybody felt that ever? Yeah, you got that. You're like jiving with me. Good, good, good. Uh, So tonight, as we continue in our series in Romans called Foundation, uh, we are going to be talking about one of those big expectation versus reality moments. We are going to be talking about suffering. (laughs) Pete said, Sarah, I'd love you to preach. I said, great. What do you want me to preach on? He said, you had no idea. She had no idea. Romans 5. You didn't know. And Blair's like, I didn't tell her. (laughs) Um, uh, Because the reality is all of us have experienced suffering or will. It is the big expectation versus reality moment. No one expects suffering. No one expects the car crash or the phone call in the middle of the night or the diagnosis at the doctor's office. We just don't expect it. And if you have followed the news at all in the last year, maybe even just the last six months, you know that suffering is not just something present here, it's present all around the world. In Izium, Ukraine, there is a freshly dug mass grave of over 400 unmarked bodies, some of them with their hands still bound. In Venezuela, a third of the country is in a state of food scarcity. A third of their hospitals don't even have clean running water. 
And inflation is so severe that what would have bought a car 10 years ago now buys a cup of coffee. Can you imagine trying to feed your family on your salary? Uvalde, Texas, 19 children, two adults. We all know there has been such suffering in our communities. And can I tell you, that was the 27th school shooting of the year, and that was in May. Mm -hmm. That's not even to mention the suffering that's present in this room. The person next to you might be dealing with their parents' divorce, or the girl two rows behind you is dealing with a chronic illness where she's in pain constantly. Or maybe there's someone here who's just incredibly lonely and they wonder if they're ever going to meet someone who wants to know who they really are. Suffering is a reality. And if we're promised anything in life, it seems to be that. Relational suffering, physical suffering, the pain of failure, financial pandemics, seemingly random acts of violence. Uh, when I came to college, I was a very... Uh, I, you know, I had a lot of things on my resume, but uh, I was a pretty depressed 17-year-old. Uh, I did not know how to handle my suffering. And if you'd pressed me on it, I would have said I was an atheist uh, who thought that everything in my life, our human race, was random. Anybody ever been there? Got that kind of background? Uh, my foundation was science and rationalism. I would not have called myself a nihilist, but that was only because I was afraid of kind of admitting to the natural consequence of that, which is that if we're all just atoms and consciousness is just an evolutionary advantage, it's nothing spiritually relevant, then it's all just survival of the fittest and nothing matters. There is no morality. Suffering, it just is. And pain is just your body telling you that death is coming. Nothing matters. Nothing is true. It's all random. Can I tell you that doesn't really help the 17-year-old feel any better about her suffering? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, then because God is very good, and he must have seen how much I needed him, I went through a pretty quick transformation at UVA. He was ready for me, uh, so I, I had my heart and my mind transformed through people in Chi Alpha. I came to a faith in Jesus Christ at the fall retreat. So uh, yeah, I uh, love the fall retreat. You're going to be like at the actual camp that I was at. So if you're a depressed first year, it's got a good track record. Um, <laughs> sign up. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so there I am. I have this new faith in Jesus. I am excited. I am ready to go. And for a while, nothing could bring me down. Everything was awesome. And the <laughs> you guys, it's a message on suffering. I had to find ways to make you laugh. Um, but, but everything was awesome. The world had purpose. There was hope, and it was good. And then things started happening again. Or the things that were already hard continued being hard. And at first, I remember being sort of put out, like, God, I believe now. We're good. I think you're good. Can't we, like, keep on with the good stuff? And it wasn't until a little while later that I really started looking at my Bible uh, so in the office the other day, we were all around the lunch table, and I have no idea how we got on this conversation, but we were talking about places you've cried on grounds. Um, <laughs> anybody cried on grounds yet? I'm sorry, that's such an awkward poll. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, uh, the path was a big one. Uh, dorm rooms, makes sense. That doesn't really count. Like, we'll count it as on grounds, but we're talking like the shame of public tears. There's no shame. Tears are good. You're fine. Uh, this was my first crying on grounds moment. So, 
I want you to picture Sarah, and she is in the amphitheater with her empty Newcomb to go box, and I am reading about the stoning of Stephen. Uh, This is the first and the only time scripture has ever made me cry. I cry like once a year. I wish I could cry more. It's like a tear ducts thing, you know? I'm like, you guys are amazing. Keep crying. It's beautiful. But (laughs) this is, you're learning a lot about me. Uh, (laughs) This is the one time that scripture has made me cry. And it was because I think this was the first time, other than like Jesus on the cross, that I encountered suffering. And the stoning of Stephen, if you don't know it, it's this young man. He's just been welcomed into the apostles. You know, it's this energetic movement right after the day of Pentecost where there's all these believers, and he is out preaching. He's preaching beautifully, and people hate him for his words. And this young man who is just like so beautiful in his speech and so hopeful and so trying to offer them hope is stoned until he dies. And as he's dying, he says, Lord, forgive them. And I just started to weep in the middle of the amphitheater, man. Like, there are people all over that place, and I'm just crying. And I I didn't know that could happen. I was shocked. I was moved. I was, like, bruised with the beauty and the sorrow of this moment. And the thing is, as I kept reading the scriptures, I kept seeing more of it. There were women who were widowed, people who lost their children, Paul with a thorn in his flesh that couldn't be taken away no matter how much he prayed. There were people who were jailed, people who were sick, people who were oppressed and enslaved and poor and Christian. So if life was not enough to prove it, even the Bible shows us that suffering is not something we escape when we follow Jesus. It's something to be expected. And so as me with my young faith, I start to shift my question from why am I suffering to how am I supposed to suffer? How, what is my view of this suffering? And that is our question tonight. Um, and just in case you're not a Christian tonight, like I was at the fourth M&L of the, the year, uh, I want to give away a little bit of the end, which is that the Bible promises that one day God will make all things new. And that those who follow him, it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There's something beautiful coming. But that's the end of the story. We're in the middle. We're living in the middle. And that's a good thing. And the reason I think that that God doesn't just like make it all new right now is because there's more people he wants to know him. There's more people he wants to bring into the kingdom. There's more people he wants to wipe their tears away. We're not done yet. We're in the middle. And that means that we're still in a world where we suffer. So how do we view that suffering? Our text today is going to help us answer that question. You've already heard it once. Uh, So let's read it. Uh, Therefore, since we have... Yeah, it should be up there. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rejoice! In your suffering, 
It's not really easy to read. In fact, some of you might even be mad at me right now. You're like, Sarah, but you don't know my story. Sarah, you're minimizing my pain. I get it. I'm not trying to do that. But I am trying to say that there's something in the scripture here, if you'll stick with me. And actually, uh, as we kind of walk this out, I want to tell you a story. And then I'm going to tell you two outcomes of what could happen. One, if you build your foundation on the ways of the world, it's the foundation of 17-year-old Sarah of rationalism and atheism and everything's just random. Or the foundation of Jesus loves us and he died on the cross for us. And this is my story. Uh, So we'll skip over everything that happened in college, basically. Great faith, growing, fun times, broken ankle, but it's okay. Um, And I did the internship with Chi Alpha, Excited, enjoyed it, and I sign on for five years because, it, yeah, that, it sounds like a lot. It is a lot. It was like, oh, my gosh, but I was really, really excited because my life had been transformed here, and I had an opportunity to be a part of that for other people. So five years. Meanwhile, throughout my entire story, this had started in high school, but it started getting worse in college. Uh, I've always struggled with my health. I would have these episodes where my body would be in extreme pain for weeks, and I would be incredibly weak. Uh, I remember in high school, there would be moments where I couldn't brush my hair because it would hurt my arms too much to hold them in the air that long. And not only that, but I, I would struggle to eat. Anything I ate, I just seemed to throw it up. I couldn't keep anything down. And this would happen for weeks at a time and then just stop for a while. And we thought it was limes, we thought it was mono, we thought it was chronic fatigue, we thought it was all this stuff. And that goes on through college and it starts getting worse and it gets worse. And during the internship, finally start going to the right doctors, we start doing the right tests. And so I have just signed on for five years with Chi Alpha. And then I'm driving to Loudoun to, to go to a doctor and hear the results of my blood tests. And they say, Sarah, we know what you have. And I'm like, great, please. Like, I want to know. This has been years And they said, well, you have an autoimmune disease. You have undifferentiated connective tissue disease. I said, okay, cool. So we've got a name. What are we going to do about it? They're like, well, we do have some treatments. I'm like, oh, great. So we can cure it. They said, no. And I said, okay, well, give it to me straight, right? Like, like, what does this mean for my life? And they said, well, um, the truth is, Right now, your body is reacting so strongly that it is eating your joints. You, your body is literally destroying itself. And you probably have five good years. And by good years, I mean it's going to be like it currently is, where you're going to have these episodes. We can try to give you some steroids. We'll see if we can kick it. But you're going to keep going through that. But eventually, this is going to target a specific organ system, and uh, you're going to go downhill fast. I said, like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, tell me my, like, do I have a life expectancy here? And they said, it was a female doctor. I remember she said, if you had kids today, you won't live to see them graduate high school. And I had this whole future I had just committed to something good. I'd committed to ministry, five years of ministry. And then I get this, you have five good years left, and actually they're still going to be filled with pain. It's just a little less pain. And then you'll probably live in a hospital, and then you're going to die. Understandably, uh, a pretty big thing in my life. Um, 
And if I can be honest, there has been a lot of suffering. I have experienced incredible pain where I can't get out of my bed. I have experienced trying to put on weight because I can't keep anything down. I've experienced, I've experienced a lot. Um, and there are days that I, I walk up stadium and I just, my knees hurt and I'm so tired and I just want to lie down that hill. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, and it's like, it's not that bad, but it's somehow terrible. And you're like halfway up the hill and I'm like, I'm going to just fold. <laughs> But have you been there? Maybe not from physical weakness. Maybe it was grief or it was depression or a feeling of powerlessness. But that lay down, curl up, give up ache. Let me pause there. Where would my story go without the gospel? Those moments that you have felt that, where would your story go without the gospel? I'm going to try to paint a picture. I believe that without a foundation of the gospel and a foundation of the world, the life we build while suffering looks a lot more like this. First, the anger. Why is this happening to me? What did I ever do? I've lived my life well. I've loved people the best I can. I don't do A or B or C. Why is this happening? Anger. And then that anger begins to produce broken relationships. They can't possibly understand me. They're judging me because of my weakness. They can't handle my pain. They think I'm not good enough or fun enough or pure enough or all of a sudden I'm isolated and I feel like no one can understand what I'm going through and I keep pushing people away. Or sometimes we pull people too close and we over-depend on them and we use them until they're broken and then they leave and we're left feeling even more empty. Anger produces broken relationships. And how many of you know that suffering doesn't only threaten the relationships with people close to you, but it threatens relationships we haven't even formed yet? Because when you're suffering because of your fear of death, it's a little hard to want to invest in relationships. Uh, When you're told you could die before your non-existent child gets to high school, you start to think, should I even have a child? Should I even get married? Can I put someone through that? Can I put myself through that? Maybe I just shouldn't date. Maybe I should kill this desire in myself. Maybe I should tell myself all the bad things about dating or children or intimacy. That way it won't hurt so much. And suddenly something that was a true desire, even if it's one that maybe isn't going to happen for me, becomes twisted. I've seen this happen to friends whose parents get divorced. The seeds of fear and doubt are sown, and all of a sudden how they view dating shifts, and their impulse for commitment is shaken. When you've been a victim of violence, when someone has cheated on you or lied, those actions tempt us to isolate, withdraw, lack trust. And it's not even just actions of offense upon us. It's when your sibling dies or when your father loses his job to cutbacks or when you're walking with a friend through some really tough mental health issues and you just can't seem to help. And these things that make our hearts so sad, they can isolate us too. They make us fearful to really step into life. And finally, those broken relationships, they lead to a place of despair. I'm all alone. This isn't worth it. I'll never accomplish anything of worth. Nothing will change. If this is all there is, then I don't need it. I don't need it. Does any of that feel familiar? Are any of you there right now? That is who I was at 17. That's who I could have been 
at 21. When you're building on the foundation of the natural world, Romans verse 3 through 5 reads, suffering produces anger, and anger produces broken relationships. Broken relationships produce despair, and that despair will rule your life because of the numbness you have to embrace in your heart to survive. That's the foundation of the world. A foundation on the gospel. Wow, it is so different. Suffering produces endurance, produces character, produces hope. Somehow, like, like Paul, can I just say, Paul could have said a lot of things to connect us to our hope of the, the love of God being shown to us, he, or point to the love of God. He could have said our successes point to the love of God, our churches, our giving, our love of one another. All of those things could have pointed to our hope in God, and instead Paul chooses suffering. There is something about those who are suffering where when you build your foundation on the gospel, they might be the people with the most hope. That is so weird. That's so weird. Because when you build your life on the foundation of God's love for you, something changes. Instead of anger, the Holy Spirit gives you an ability to endure through those inevitable emotions of frustration and hurt. They're normal. It's not bad to feel those things. They, they're natural. But that, that Holy Spirit can break into your heart. He can give you this endurance. And that has happened for me. Can I tell you, those mornings where I can barely stand, I'll just roll out of bed and I land on my knees and I pray until I can stand. And then I pray until I can make it to my car and I pray until I can make it to the office. And God has given me an endurance to actually enjoy my job. Instead of broken relationships, whether from self-dependence or frustration and mistrust, our character is tested and refined into one that embraces community, embraces right action despite pain. I remember this one time, this was early on, maybe like the fall right after I had been diagnosed, and we were uh, unloading the trailer to, to prepare for M&L. There's a lot of stuff here. We have to get a lot of stuff out of a trailer. And I remember someone on staff looking at me and saying, um, Sarah, uh, you sit there and you watch the trailer. Make sure nobody takes anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you are only doing this because you know I can't carry anything and I'm so embarrassed and I'm going to sit on this stool and I'm going to guard the trailer from non-existent people trying to steal things. But goodness gracious. And there was so much temptation in me to think that people were judging me, to think that they were frustrated with me because I couldn't do my job, to think that they were like, oh my gosh, maybe she's faking it. Maybe she's just trying to get out of it. My coworkers aren't thinking that. They're like the nicest people. Um, but can I tell you, it was a choice to let the Holy Spirit remind me of that. It was a choice to say, I'm going to trust them and not believe that this is going to like kill my relationships. And then instead of the despair that results from being left with nothing but our anger, pain, and disappointment when we live at our anger and broken relationships, our now, instead of that, our now-transformed character reminds us and leads us to a place of hope. Instead of despair, we have hope. And can I tell you, those five years were some of the like, most joyous years of my life. These five years where I'm like, okay, that's what I've got. Can I tell you, when you know you've only got five years, you're like, let's go. I'm going to live the heck out of these five years. I'm going to go on all the international spring break trips, and I'm going to share the gospel with those who have never heard it, and I'm going to love students, and I am going to tell them about the gospel with no shame because I'm out of here after, and it doesn't matter. And can I, like, that sounds a little weird, but can I tell you that wasn't like recklessness? That was like a, oh my gosh, I have a chance to live. 
I've been given five beautiful years. I had just signed on for five years of ministry and then I'm told I have five years to live. Gosh, that is beautiful. God clearly wants me to do this and I'm gonna do it with so much joy. Hope. Um, I'm 31. <laughs> um, <laughs> God can do some pretty wild things. He doesn't just give us hope for the future. Sometimes he gives us some pretty cool miracles now. Pete, thanks for telling me to save for retirement. He said, Sarah, you don't know what's going to happen. I was like, what does it matter? He's like, you die, you can just give it all to Chi Alpha. It's fine. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Pete told me to save for retirement, and because of that, I'm not in dire financial straits because Pete is a man of God, and he has hope that unexpected things can happen. Right? Go Pete. Um, Hope is so much better than despair. Oh, it's just so much better. Um, Whether that's hope in getting healed or hope that if I don't get healed, God is still going to be good and I'm going to experience his love in this new heavens and this new earth and I'm going to live eternally in right relationship with God. That's a better hope, but this is a pretty good one. Um, Can I tell you something? I think our world is in a crisis. We're in a lot of crises, right? Like there's a lot of things that, (laughs) yeah, you're right, Imani. And like, she's like, (laughs) yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think there is a dire crisis in our country and that is a terrible lack of hope. And I think we've all seen it and I think we've all felt it. We doom scroll our news apps and we get deeper and deeper and darker and darker holes of fear and sadness and exhaustion and apathy because we just can't handle it. And even if you don't stand on a Christian foundation, you understand that suffering and hope have a unique relationship because suffering causes us to search for the cause of our pain. And in the world, when you build on a worldly foundation, our anger makes us look for someone to blame. And we can normally find someone. The world is full of sin and sinners, and we can, we can find someone to pin the blame on. It's The woman who didn't vaccinate her kids, it's the porn industry, it's the terrorists, it's the police, it's my parents, it's there's a lot of categories that we could pin various things on. And then we start to experience relational brokenness with our communities. We start to see division. We start to judge entire categories of people. Anyone wealthier than me is spoiled. Anyone poorer than me is uneducated. Any male doesn't understand no. Any female is exaggerated. Any Democrat, Southerner, Muslim is this. Any Republican? northerner, Jew, is this, and suddenly people aren't people anymore, they're numbers, they're statistics, they're demographics. And once we have that, once we've dehumanized people, we can understand a structure where like, I can fix this, if I can fix the people, or I can fix the system, and we start to put our hope in systems. If we vote in this candidate, I might get the job. If we don't let in these immigrants, home terrorist attacks won't happen. Or if we tell our boys to always be polite and not make sudden moves, then they won't be shot. Or if we always use the buddy system and never walk at night, then there won't be rape. And can I tell you, the pain goes on in Ukraine, in Uvalde, in Charlottesville, in this room, because all of those hopes fail us. I'm not saying people shouldn't look for hope. Hope is really, really important. We're supposed to do that but it all fails because it's built on flawed people and flawed systems. Nothing in the world can sustain the weight of our hope, can't offer it. Until every hope 
fails, but one. Our text continues, Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The world is suffering. The world is in pain. Everybody is hurting. You're not the only one hurting. This is a tough place. And in our suffering, in our hopelessness, Jesus, God in flesh, comes running into the breach and says, lay it on me. They can't take it anymore. They can't fix it. They're stuck in this system of hurting and hurting each other. And it's just going to go on and on and on. Let me carry the weight. Let me carry the wrath. Let me carry the pain. I don't care if death swallows me up. Let me love them. Let me give them hope. Let me give them peace. Let me die on a cross if it'll give them just a future. That one day, every tear might be wiped away. Every consequence of sin removed, cancer, divorce, terror, racism, sexism, war, lies, poverty, loneliness— God doesn't just explain our suffering in the scriptures. He participates in our suffering. He takes on flesh, enters the broken world, and takes it on so that we can break out. So that we can offer hope of a kingdom instead of despair, that something better is coming, that there is hope, there is healing, there is something to be had here. If you'll just see that I love you, and you recognize who I am. I'm your God. And I've died for you. And I've risen again so that you can share in my life. Our suffering in the world points to hope because it reminds us of the suffering that Jesus went through for us. Hope and suffering. Suffering and hope are intricately united because of the story that God has written in the world. And when we suffer, yet the Holy Spirit moves in us to bring hope. We are playing out the gospel story in our lives. We are testimonies. We are little Christs. When we, despite what we are carrying, bring hope. And so Paul tells us to do the one thing that the world finds ridiculous, that the world would love to mock, which is rejoice. Rejoice, not for your suffering, but in it. I'm not trying to say that it can't hurt. I'm not trying to say it's not bad. I'm trying to say there is a hope in Jesus that supersedes all of that. It is so much bigger than the suffering that we have right now if we'll just trust. And though everything in the world seems to say otherwise, the Holy Spirit does move. The Holy Spirit has moved in my life and in my story to do incredible things, incredible feats of endurance that I could not have done on my own. This shaped me into a person that is so much better than who I was shaping myself to be. And it has helped me to thankfully, I hope, be a person of hope in lives of students and in my family. So as we prepare to close, um, I want to end with something actionable. Um, because there is this beautiful thing ahead, right? Like our, our suffering can point to hope. Like it, it, our suffering leads us to hope because God's love has been poured out in our hearts with the Holy Spirit, right? But there's also something else. Um, Luke 9, 23. Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
and take up their cross and follow me. I believe that Christ loved us so much that he died on a cross to save us from our sin and that punishment over it, the wrath of sin. He saved us from our hopelessness. But I think that as we follow Christ, what he did in us, he also wants to do through us. And there are a lot of people out there suffering right now, and he wants us to be hope bringers in the world. He wants us to be a part of that, just like he was for us, that we would love others so much that we might even be willing to embrace pain just so that they can have hope. I believe Christ died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He bore our cross. But I also think that that Jesus died on a cross so that we would know how to. Does that make sense? That we have this chance to comfort and encourage and challenge others because of what we have suffered. I have been able to do this, right? That because I have suffered, I've been able to meet with those who struggle with chronic illness who are on the edge of despair. I have been able to meet with those who are grieving a future that they thought they were going to have. Um, You you don't know this about me. None of my family really has a a faith in Jesus. I'm able to meet with people and comfort those who have the same nightmare I have. I have have nightmares where I walk into God's heaven, God's new kingdom, and I look around and I don't see any of my family there. I can offer so much hope to people because I've been there and I've suffered and I'm suffering it, I'm grieving it. But gosh, like the Lord has given me so much endurance and hope through that. When we suffer, we have an opportunity to offer hope to people who have suffered with the same thing. That's what got me as a first year. Uh, It wasn't a message though, Pete, you were phenomenal. Um, And I hope this message blesses you, but what really, really got me to to have a a faith in Jesus was the people. Because as we did like testimonies at core group, or I heard testimonies at MNL or fall retreat, I was meeting all these people. They all had really broken lives. They They had pain. It wasn't like they just had this perfect life, but they had hope. They were joyful and they like seemed to actually enjoy life. And I was like, how do you do that? And it was really, really hard because I didn't have that. And I just, I could see how different they were and I wanted it. And the, everybody I asked, I was like, are you just like a happy person? They're like, no, I just like really love Jesus and he's, he's done a lot for me. And over and over and over again, the testimony of people was that their joy was because of God, not because of their circumstances. For those of you who are Christian in this room, I know we're not all, but if out of everyone in the world who is suffering, everybody's suffering, if we don't have hope, why do we expect anybody else to want our God? We're just as despairing as anybody else. What weight does our testimony have? Because guess what? You're, you're still just sad. You're still despairing. It doesn't, it doesn't look any different. And I'm not trying to, like, y'all, I, I have a counselor. I'm on meds for depression. I'm, like, taking my, my sadness seriously. I'm trying to, like, bring healing. But I'm also owning that, like, there are just some things in my life that have been hard. Sometimes you're sad. I'm not saying you can't be sad, but I'm saying that if you feel like you are living in that despair, I I want you to let the Holy Spirit into your heart because I think he can bring you endurance. I think he can change your life. I think he can bring you hope. And I think that when you carry that testimony, other people are going to be like, see it and be changed. You can be in the process. It's okay if you're not there yet. But if Christians don't have hope, why would anybody want to be a Christian? 
think that's a responsibility on us. Um, I want to wrap up. Worship team, you can come up here. Um, And when I think about that, when I think about the suffering that I've had, but the ways that I've been able to turn it for good and turn it for joy and turn it to discipleship, um, when I think about even just the future that I thought I had and how God redeemed it, and I think he does that uniquely in all our stories, not necessarily through healing, but in really beautiful, special ways, I rejoice. I do rejoice in my suffering because I might get to be hope for someone else by pointing them to my hope. So I will pick up my cross and I will carry it if it means one more 17-year-old on the edge of despair meets a God who loves her. I want to challenge us to be those people at UVA. Will you be someone who carries your cross in such a way that other people see the gospel and not just more despair? But again, it's okay to be in the process. But there is something beautiful ahead. Something beautiful is coming. And when we trust in Jesus, we're going to see it. We're going to make it through. You're going to make it through. And something beautiful will be on the other side. All right, so as we close, I want to take some time. We're like, the band is going to play, but they're not going to start singing because I think, I hope, some of you in this room need to meet with God right now. That, that maybe, those of you who follow Christ, I, I want you to share with him your heart or to ask him for what you need right now. If you're struggling with anger, ask for endurance. If you have broken relationships in your life because of your suffering or other people's suffering, can you ask God to mend them and to help you be a person who pursues reconciliation and who pursues depth and takes vulnerability seriously so that you can have intimacy with people? Maybe you just want to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of the love of God in your heart. You just want an experience with God's love tonight. That's okay. That's good. That's beautiful. Ask for an experience of God's love. Or maybe you want to ask that he would help you carry a cross. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. You guys talk to Jesus. You're fine. You're going to pray with him. You're going to pray to him. You're going to ask him to move in your life. Maybe you just need to cry with someone. That's okay too. Again, tears are beautiful. Um, but because this is who I was, I wanted to take a chance. We don't, we don't do this every week. Um, but I, I believe that there are some people in this room who don't yet follow Jesus. Or maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but you've never taken that step for yourself to say, I want to build my life on the foundation of God's love and not the foundation of the world because all it's led me to is despair. And you're ready to claim a life in Jesus and what that can look like, the beauty of his Holy Spirit, God's love poured out in our hearts. So um, if everybody would bow your heads, close your eyes, pray with me. But right before we step into that prayer, I just, I want to create a moment. I needed a moment where I was asked to make a choice someone asked me. And so if that's you tonight, if you are trapped in despair and you haven't yet known the love of God, or if you are someone who you know you need to build your life on the foundation of Jesus and you're ready to make that choice, can you raise your hand? I think there is power in making that step. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. 
yes. Would you all pray with me? God, we pray over every single person who raised a hand right now. Would you break into their life in a new way? God, would you do something special? Would you pour out your love in their hearts by your Holy Spirit, God, that they might have an experience where they know whatever they suffer in this life, they are not alone, but they are being led to a new kingdom where every tear will be wiped away because their God, Jesus, God in flesh, didn't just look at our suffering, but participated in it, took it on willingly so that we could be freed from a world of sin, so that we could have his righteousness put upon us so that we could be in the kingdom of God. If you raised your hand tonight, can I just encourage you before you leave tonight, will you tell someone, tell a core group leader, tell a friend, tell a staff person about the choice you've made? Because we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this together. And God, for everybody who's approaching you right now, we just want to say thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Teach us how to rejoice when the world says it's impossible to rejoice in our suffering. God, not for the things that happen. We understand this world is broken, but God, would you give us a perspective to see that hope is real and it will not be put to shame? What that means that it won't be put to shame is that we will see your love, that we, we will confidently step into it. Your Holy Spirit is just a seal on our hearts right now. It's a promise by experiencing God's love. It's that little, little moment where we can carry you around until that moment where everything is made new. God, would you meet us tonight in prayer? Would you meet everybody in a seat who is praying? And God, would we have a fresh revelation of your love? Teach us to rejoice even when we carry a cross. In your name we pray, amen. God is good. He is always good. And even though there'll be suffering in this life, something beautiful is coming and something beautiful has been put in our hearts right now. So I think Christabel said it well. You're meant to do this with your friends. There are people who want to come alongside you. So whether you raised your hand tonight or there's something the Lord has put on your heart, something you were praying, I encourage you, share it with someone. Don't do it alone. Don't let suffering lead you to brokenness and isolation. We're a family. You belong here. And we want to know about your life and walk it out with you. So um, let me pronounce the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance to you. And may he give you peace and hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are blessed. And uh, I hope that this night blessed you. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.